Welcome back to The Good Room, where we have interdisciplinary conversations about what makes a room good. I'm Telly Mahoney, and today we're talking about a good courtroom with Matthew Shalafu, Paige's lead modernization architect, and John Myers, a lead architect out of our Albany office. So today we're chatting about how courtrooms in traditional theater auditoriums can inform and intersect each other. While the courtroom focuses on legal proceedings and the theater is used for entertainment purposes, these spaces share similar design features as both focus the audience or the jury's attention on a central point. So let's start with talking about how courtrooms and traditional theaters can become prominent landmarks in a community or a city. Matt and John, what strategies might you use to create a welcoming and accessible entrance that also engages visitors and sets the tone for the experience they might have here? I know in the case of theaters, in some respects, there are similarities. It is highlighted generally by a marquee or some welcoming device at the street that advertises what's going on within the theater. And that was one of the things that was part of the major restoration of the palace in Albany was restoring the original marquee and blade signs to illuminate to the public what is going on in the building. And then there are a series of spaces you progress through before you get to the the ultimate performance space. But again, it's it's a very public building like courthouses, and the public is welcomed into it. Historically, from the courthouse perspective, courthouses were typically one of the primary buildings in laying out a city, even going back to the early 19th century, because it was a critical part of the government interface with people and just a very important building in terms of establishing a, a center of a community. And in terms of welcoming them in, obviously it, it has changed over time with architectural detailing and style, but there's always a sense of um, wanting it to be an entry and it to be open to the public. These are meant to be part of the public part of government. The architecture should show that in some way, and then that gets reflected in the period and style of the building. How might the design project the government's presence and authority because it is one of those times that the public is coming in direct contact with government? There's certainly historic precedent for how that kind of room is laid out, how a courtroom is meant to operate and be set up. But a long time ago, a, a judge at a county level actually in talking about their courthouse reminded us as we were thinking about planning for a renovation on their county building, th that those spaces were probably the one space that regular citizens came in contact with government activity more than any other space. And whether it's because they're there for a trial, unfortunately, or certainly if they're serving on a jury. It's an incredibly important part of how we operate. And so there is a sense of decorum. There is a sense of structure that's set up by the room. And we all know how they're set up. They have that main focal point of the front of the room with the bench, with the judge, with the area in front, the well, where the people involved in the trial itself are, where the jury is, and then the seating area for the public, the gallery. It can take a lot of different forms over time. It's been set up many different ways, but that basic structure is there. I, I think that the power of it is that it's known and that people 
have a comfort with what they're going to see and experience when they go in there. But it also is clearly hierarchical. It is set up to facilitate what's happening in that space and to make sure that we all know who's in charge, that ultimately the judge who is there really just to oversee and to make sure that what is supposed to happen is occurring in that space ultimately is the person that everyone is focused on. That's everyone is facing in that direction. The judge is the mm. only one that's facing in the other direction. Think about that. It's really a very focused kind of arrangement. Yeah, it kind of harkens back. I was thinking of building types that have their origins. And I think courtrooms, performance spaces have their origin in the Roman Basilica. The colonnade down two sides, uh, terminating in a semicircular apse, and that's kind of the performance space at the end of that that form as a, a gathering place for people. But there's definitely a focal point to it. The basilica eventually morphed into a religious building type, but it was the ultimate multi-purpose building in, mm -hmm. uh, in Roman time. Yeah, and I think that that's, and again, there's it's kind of symbolic, but it's also very functional because ultimately the judge's responsibility is to make sure that what is meant to occur in that space actually takes place. Obviously, a, an incredibly vital role, but they have to see the room. They have to really have a sense of control over that space, and people have to understand that and respect it. And obviously that's a big part of it is that sense of of respect for that person that's been put in that position in various ways, but it, it's a very critical thing. And I, I think as, as John was saying, I mean, it, it's a layout that has many precedents that go back a long way. And on the theater side, John, I mean, obviously going back to ancient construction with amphitheater and the, the same kind of arrangement, again, as you were saying, it, it's a very different arrangement because there it's all about the audience being able to have full view and feel as if it's all for them as an individual, even though they're part of a group. Whereas in a courtroom, it isn't, that isn't the purpose. It isn't right. the audience is important because, you know, keep in mind that the whole idea of, of a public trial um, is embedded in the Bill of Rights. I mean, that's how important it is. And we forget, we lose sight of that because we don't talk about those amendments very much. But it goes back to the concept of a public trial, an open trial, transparency, and fairness. All of that really becomes part of the architecture. It becomes part of how you lay that room out to, to carry through on that promise to citizens of the United States. Yeah, as you point out, in a theater, you do have the, that focal point, and there's a, an equality to every seat or an implied equality to it, that everyone can enjoy what's going on uh, equally. Yeah, and the perspective is always different. Sometimes people really clamor to get into the balcony because you get a, a different view of what's going on. You don't have that option in a courtroom. You're on a level floor, basically. You're observing what is happening. Speaking of those focal points, I was thinking of lighting. Does it help drive that focal point? Yeah, lighting in theaters is certainly a much more exuberant effort with focusing on the performance and enhancing the performance and making it highly visible and the focal point of the audience to pay attention to what's going on. And, uh, you know, to the point where the, the lighting systems on the stage itself are quite elaborate. Much of it is flown in the gallery space above the stage in the gridiron where all the lighting bars are. And there's a lot of automation to lighting 
these days that really uh, changes the uh, the aspect of it. And then lighting in the main house has a certain dimming functions and the artwork around the perimeter is highlighted to kind of capture what's going on or backlit, but it's subdued and it allows what's going on on the stage to be the, the focal point. Now, when we did the palace, the dimming system in the building was still original from 1930. And the, the dimming rack on the stage was quite a, an elaborate affair. It was uh, General Electric's number two dimming rack that they ever built. And in the basement was this room that it was all driven by vacuum tubes and open front electrical gear. And if you went down there on a humid day, you could just feel the static charge. And uh, you didn't want to back into anything, but it was that was called the Frankenstein room. And when we did a complete upgrade and digital conversion for the dimming system, it was so sad because the Frankenstein room was reduced to a couple racks of computer racks with equipment that drove the lighting system. So it's part of the uh, the mystery of the building was lost, but the capabilities and enhancement of the lighting certainly was benefited from modern technology. In a courtroom, one of the things we always have to remember, it's a workspace. It has that sense of kind of focal performance, but at the same time, it's, it's a workspace. And ultimately, what's really important is the ability of people to, to do their job and to, to be able to see what they need to see. I mean, there's an added complexity now where courtrooms are integrating cameras. So you've got the lighting that's required to make sure that the cameras can function properly. But generally, in terms of inside the architecture in a courtroom, the objective is to create a lighting level that's not theatric necessarily, mm -hmm. that's general, that has a nice spread to it. I think the difference in courtrooms is when you're dealing with one of the historic courtrooms and where you do have architecture that may be of great interest or artwork and making sure that those are lit in a way that you you kind of maximize the visual benefit to the people who are in the room. And the other thing that we do keep in mind is that some of these courtroom spaces are used for other purposes. Certainly the trial activity is the number one, and we have to design for that. But one of the larger courtrooms in the, the Levin Courthouse in Detroit it was actually designed to allow all the federal judges that serve in that building, and it's 20 judges, over 20, I believe, to all be on the bench at the same time. And it may be for a special ceremony. It may be for somebody becoming a judge and being welcomed into that group. They also do a lot of naturalization ceremonies in courtrooms. So you're then thinking about, well, how do you want to light the room that's focused on those people? What an incredible moment in their lives. They're not there for a trial. They're there to be welcomed as citizens of the country. And so certainly then it should be focused on them. So we do try to think about those range of uses and provide enough flexibility that the users of the space can adjust it appropriately. But again, the primary purpose is the trial and everything has to start with that. Yeah, I think in the case of theaters, depending upon the, the venue and who is, is performing there, they, they offer the ultimate adaptability and ability to integrate new technologies. And part of with the Palace Theater, it also is host to a lot of traveling 
companies are traveling road shows. And many of these shows bring a vast array of equipment. And we need the infrastructure in the building in order to be able to support that equipment, provide the energy for it, and provide the, the pick points where they can fly things and locate them where they want to uh, highlight their performance. But no, technology is, is definitely upon us in a very large way in these performance spaces to uh, support just about everything imaginable. And they need to be flexible. Sometimes you just have to add capabilities in to um, uh, enhance your position to attract the, the right shows to your facility. And courtrooms in particular, I think the other thing that is really becoming even, and certainly through the pandemic was really driven home even more is, is video technology. Is I talked about kind of a camera integration into rooms. There's a greater level of interest in being able to televise what's going on in a courtroom, certainly at the local state level, a little less on the federal level. They're, they're still not really interested in having full camera-ready courtrooms, but it's coming. And in the pandemic, they had to continue their work, but they had to be creative about how they did it. Oddly enough, they were doing kind of distance work. So everybody wasn't in the courtroom. Uh, they limited the people that were there, and there were certain participants in the trials that may not have been there. The defendants might have been in the jail and in a special space and connected by video. So incorporating that kind of technology becomes a real challenge because now the whole idea of making it visible for everybody. How do you do that? How do you create screen technology in a space that doesn't detract from the architecture that still meets the need of sharing that information with everybody that's involved? In courtrooms being designed today, some of that technology is being built right into the furniture, like in the jury box or at the benches. With older courtrooms, you don't have that capability. So it's, do you make it movable? Do you make it so they can move it out of the space if they don't need it? Or does it sit in the corner? Do, uh, you know, it's a, I think from a technology standpoint, that's kind of the biggest challenge today is meeting that need, but not making it look like it's uncomfortable in the space. That from a design standpoint, then having people that are really facile with designing around that newest technology and knowing that the owners can deal with it, that they have staff that can work with it and you know, make sure it's operating properly. I think we spend more time working with kind of IT and data staff in courts than we ever have before. Because ultimately, they become a critical component of that courtroom operating properly. Absolutely. The technology now is far less obtrusive. It's less of an eyesore and easier to hide or integrate into the design. But with that, it's so important to support that IT staff, give them the tools and guidance to use that technology properly and continue the operations running smoothly. And again, I think from a, from a flexibility standpoint, our constant discussion then is, well, if we're investing the time and taxpayer money to upgrade a, a federal courtroom or a county courtroom, what can we do in what we design that provides the flexibility for the next generation of technology that we can't even imagine? It, it's a question, it's almost impossible to answer, Yeah, but, but it's always the question we're being asked is because we know that the technology that we're designing around today 
isn't going to be in there 10 or 15 years from now. It will be something that's different. You know, generally, you can count on technology. It's going to get smaller and more portable and more powerful. It just that seems to be the <clears throat> what's happening with all of the devices. And it just reinforces the need that we have to say we can't we can't be beholden to one idea. We have to anticipate that sooner than we think it's going to change and that we have to provide the client with the flexibility to adapt to it that quickly. As these technologies advance, I'm intrigued to see how they're further integrated into the space. John and Matt, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. We've covered a range of topics from how these facilities can become prominent landmarks in the city to creating focal points with light and space and the finally touching on these technology integrations that will continue to drive designs and our thought process when it comes to these facilities. So thank you again for joining me and thank you everybody who's listening. See you next time.